0: This is Designing the Revolution series. You're listening to chapter 14, part two, Framing, Communication and Media. In the last episode, uh, talk, I ended it on a little bit of a theoretical note. So I'm mixing up the theory and practice here a bit. And what I was suggesting, my provocation, my theoretical provocation, as you might say, is that um, the truth is quite problematic uh, and not necessarily some simple binary matter. So I was saying that um, when you're in the interview and you're saying something that's not factually absolutely correct it doesn't actually matter because what matters is the broader communication of the interview, the authenticity of your rage and and horror about what's happening. That's that's what you're communicating, that's the truth, not the minutiae of whether something is, you know, a little bit this way or a little bit that way, rather than what you said. And then I juxtapose this to sort of undermine the critique of what I've just been said by rationalists and said when the rationalist in the commas says a fact, they are not saying a fact and a truth in an unproblematic way because the fact is a reductive um, description of reality. And of course, what you need to do is give a sort of ecology of facts in order for that fact to be more salient, as you might say, more real. And then, of course, these facts are produced through uh, ideological social context, i.e., you know, a particular epistemological uh, theory of risk, um, how you describe risk, and and what have you, which is highly political and has been politicised by the IPCC. So if you haven't seen that episode, go and look at it. But Obviously, this is quite challenging, but it's central to our ongoing discussions in, in this series. And it's, we need nuance here because we're not saying there aren't facts, there's not a reality out there. We're just saying that we need to be acutely aware of how the reformist space perverts and distorts a deeper sense of reality and a deeper sense of truth. And we have to design responses to that uh, such as the ones that i described in the last episode so before we get on to longer term talks under right wing space just want to introduce a sort of parallel and similar argument about the nature of emotional communication so the sort of rationalist middle class you know enlightenment space as we've identified, has got this phobia about emotion, the showing of emotion. And that's a sort of proxy criticism for the notion of expressing negativity. You know, I hate you. You know, you're a twat. Fuck you. All this sort of thing, right? It's like, no, we can't, we can't do that. We can't do that. And obviously, they've got a point, right, which I'll come on to in a minute. And in traditional nonviolence theory, as it were, which is to a certain extent part of that rationalist culture of polite um polite conversation, as you might say. Um to my mind over the last thirty years, and we'll be developing this in future episodes, I'm always saying that, aren't I? <laughs> um to my mind there's been a a reconstruction of what nonviolent communication actually means which is more psychologically robust and what i mean by that is that the the engagement we're in communicative aggression is arguably not uh not violent so for instance let's concretize this with the example of of larry kramer So, Larry Kramer was, in my opinion, the most successful and innovative campaigner in the 20th century. Even more than Gandhi and Martin Luther King, in a certain way, right? I'm not going to, you know, push it necessarily. But that's, on most days, my opinion. And the reason for this is because you can see a certain authenticity and emotionality that was post mid 20th century repression. What I mean by that is, if you look at, you can look at this on the, on YouTube, if you look at a film called Love and Anger, I think it's, that's what it's called, he stands up in a university, he stands up in a, in a hospital consultation, you know, official professional space, and he just swears his head off and says, no one fucking knows what to do, and it's a totally disgusting, and I'm totally fucked off. And he's shaking and he's authentic and he's real, right? And I would argue he's full of love, right? Because he's intensely wants to stop his friends and people in the gay community dropping like flies in this disgusting uh, scandal of not being attended to by, by the health services because of prejudice against gay people and all the rest of it. And then I'll give another example which we discussed quite a lot in, in late Britain and Just Up Oil is, is. and again you can look this up on the, inter- in, on the internet is, the Sex Pistols in uh, 1979 and there's this moment where there's this rather patronising well-spoken BBC journalist and he provokes them and puts them down and I can't remember the exact details of how, how this ended up but they ended up just swearing, just like 14 year olds or something and they were just going, fucking cunt, fuck, fuck, cunt, sort of stuff. And it caused this massive scandal because, you know, the BBC didn't allow this. This was in the days when it was like live and they couldn't censor it. And of course, the rationalist, nonviolence, you know, Gandhian space is going to say, well, you know, that's really inappropriate and you're causing, you know, alienation and what have you. But how I would interpret it is, is what's going on there is not the words. What's going on there, the words are just a manifestation of a communication which is saying, we're over being put down, patronised, being told we're idiots, and we're just going to go wild. Because what human nature does is human nature, an iron law of human nature is, if people are, don't get recognition, if they don't get love in the classical sense, if they don't get attended to, then they become destructive. And the destruction is a form of creativity. Uh, which reflects the lack of recognition that they're receiving in, in the social space. So a certain therapeutic a- aspect of it. And the last the last example here, and I don't have the link to it, I can't remember, but you can look up on YouTube like um, um, examples of black guys being interviewed in the late 60s. And what what you see you know, I'm stunned straightening up when I say this because I just remember how how they come across and they're just coming across as we're absolutely certain of what we believe and this situation is beyond fucked and we're going to change it and you're not going to stand in our way and we know what we're doing and if you've got a problem you can go and fuck yourself, right? It's like (laughs) it's like we are here and your days are over and we're over it and it's just like, it doesn't really matter what they're saying. You know, some of it's quite incoherent from a university education point of view. That's neither here nor there. What, what the ambience is, is we're, this society's changing and, and, and there's this new zeitgeist, right? We're, we're having zero tolerance of all this racist bullshit and, and all hell's going to break loose if we don't get our way because we're right and we know we're right and you know we're right. And it's like, you just end up after two or three minutes going yeah 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 you know <laughs> i'm not listening to arguments all i'm listening to is is this Phew. now i'm not again throwing the baby out with the bathwater water here what i'm saying is is you know obviously it can be overdone and we've got this eight out of ten concept in action theory we can have an eight out of con- ten concept um in, in when we're talking about authentic aggressive communication um, but the same can be said like on the other side of the equation, a bit like what, what I is, what is said about the truth. Like in emotional communication, there's, you know, in, in progressive circles, this thing called nonviolent communication. And when, when I was in those 20s, I actually found it very useful. And it generally rotates around this sentence, you know, when you do this, I feel like this, and I will request you change your behavior to this, right? And it's a nice formulation and it's got a lot going for it. And at the same time like there's something sort of deeply problematic and what's deeply problematic about it is that it's flat what it's saying is if you just say this in your communication then it means this but as we've established you know that's psychologically literal when you're speaking you're speaking words but you also got the tone the the pitch and all the rest of it and then you've got the general ambience you know when I'm moving my hands and all this sort of thing Uh, and so you've got all this antennae going is this guy bullshitting or is he authentic and the problem with this theory at least in in how you know it's probably more sophisticated with the guy who made it up so it's got but it's become more reductive that you say this and it'll be fine which in a certain sense is right but the problem with it is what happens if you really hate the guy (laughs) what happens if you really hate the guy you're talking to Um, and what usually usually gets sort of corrupted into is when you do this I feel like that is problematic this you know great middle-class university word problematic no you don't find it problematic you find it fucking crap right so why don't you say well when you do this I find what you're doing fucking crap and I want you to change now that, that creates some authenticity in the communication. And the argument, of course, is that if you just do this flat version, this middle class repressed version, then the, actual per- the, the person listening to you knows that you're just bullshitting them and actually you don't like them at all. And it'd help a lot if you just told them and had it out. Okay. So underlying this sort of problem and, you know for the record i'm not saying there's a final resolution to this what i'm saying is is we need to be more pluralistic in our interpretation of how communication actually works in a holistic sense and one of the biggest misinterpretations is is between what you might call expressiveness and really really meaning it so this is similar to a juxtaposition between what you might call working class spee- speech working class speech and, uni- and middle class speech or non-university educated speech and university educated speech now those are generalizations okay so i'm not i'm not saying it's a, you know that's a simplification obviously but to simplify somewhat, what what a lot of working class speech is doing is just being expressive so, what that means is, let's say a working class person says, "I fucking hate you." They're not actually saying they hate you. They're not saying they hate you in some middle class thought about it for ten days and and that's your position for the next for the next year. In this archetypal working class expressiveness mode, when they say "I hate you," they're just saying. I'm really pissed off with you at this moment, right? And five minutes later, he might give, be giving you a hug at something. Going, Yeah, yeah, sorry, you know, I've got a bit over, overexcited there, but, you know, I was just saying how I was feeling. Well, that's totally different to this university imposition of sort of the construction of hate speech where someone's going, I hate you and I hate you and I'll always hate you and I really hate you and it's gonna go on forever. That's a different kettle of fish, isn't it? That's like psychotic hate. That's totally different. So this gets confused all the time. And what I'm saying here is that, is that in terms of getting attention, in terms of creating authenticity, in in terms of bringing ordinary speech and ordinary sociability into the public sphere, what we have to do is empower and make space for non-university speech, working class speech, working class people, who are going to mess it up. But they're not, right, because they're going to get this attention and this authenticity is going to produce um, uh, what you might call a more, a more honest form of, of, of commun- communication in, in, in the public sphere. So this, you know, this has this, relates back to this reformist orientation and, and this revolutionary orientation um as we've discussed all right so i'm sort of half imagining some people are sort of vaguely panicking at this point you're going no 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 roger you know this is really bad it's going to create all this you know horrible confrontation aggression in the public sphere people are going to hate it you're going to alienate people so what i'd like to introduce at this moment is no what, what I'm saying up to this point in terms of communication and media and framing is, this is a move, right? It's a move. It's not the whole picture, right? In the same way as nonviolent confrontation is not the whole picture. When you're sitting in the road, that's only part of the picture. As we said over and over again, what nonviolence is is disruption, confrontation, and dialogue and listening. The two things, the two things interact. They. They go, you know, you do one and then you do the other and then you go back and do the other again. So there's this literature called uh, tit for tat, right? Which is, you know, and push and pull, this is another phrase, and it's there in various literatures. So tit for tat basically says, look, if you're going to be shitty in your interview, I'm going to be shitty to you. Uh, and at the end of the interview, I'm going to be nice to you and say, why don't you, you know, he's going to, the interview is going to say, Oh, you know, you never you never answer the questions and you're going, well, I'm not answering questions because it's just entertainment. If you want me to answer the questions, then fine, let's do an hour interview where you give me at least five minutes to reply, and you're not going to interrupt me every 30 seconds. So then you bring down the you're pivoting basically to a new form of communication which is structured to enable deliberation. So the whole point here is the reason you're not deliberating and being rational is not because deliberation and rational isn't you know doesn't have some intrinsic value obviously it does right what you're saying is is if you're going to create a space which is all about entertainment and and you know ridicule and wit fine i can play that game with you if you want to play another game if you want to play the game of deliberation and rational conversation fine let's do that let's have an hour and you make an agreement to like give me 5 minutes to reply to my reply to your questions and then you can develop obviously a nuanced uh, argument and you know give some stories and all the rest of it. So this is where we pivot to what you might call the long form deliberative space or the debate space and I sort of did this with Aaron the other day on um, on Navarro Media you know he was pretending to be a popular sort of questionnaire and you know he was interrupting me all the time and there was lots of comments below the YouTube channel going let the guy speak because what people wanted was a long-form deliberative debate. In other words here's a question you've got five minutes of uninterrupted time to, to answer it. So I'm saying to Aaron or I will be saying to Aaron okay let's do it again and you shut up a bit and give me the chance to actually develop my arguments and then I won't be so like obtrusive (laughs) Um, and maybe he'll do it and maybe you won't and I've also done this with the Times newspaper you know Times just write these ridiculously biased articles and I say well you know if you want me to do an interview you're going to have to do a long-form interview and and give me a chance to actually develop my argument otherwise I'm not playing I'm not playing score you know they want to interview me to make some clicks out of me by distorting what I've got to say I'm not playing that game uh, I'm going to play the game when you give me a three-hour interview and we actually talk about something sensible like the future of conservatism. Um, all right. So an example of the long-form debate is is the again you can see this on YouTube uh, a, a debate myself and Rupert Reed had at at Cambridge University. Now the great thing about debates I'm not saying debate for the debate format is necessarily the be-all end-all of deliberation as all well. there are. Problems with it, and it involves a certain amount of rhetoric and and um, you know wit and all the rest of it. But the fundamental point of a debate, formally defined, is you have 15 minutes or 10 minutes to make an argument, and someone's not going to interrupt you after 30 seconds. So what myself and Rupert did is we did quite a lot of research, obviously on the climate. We had our facts, we had our arguments, we had our stories. He was going to talk about you know xxx, and I was trying to talk about yyy. And we went into battle and they put up against us, you know, these popular entertainer, witty people, but they couldn't get a grip on us because the format of the debate gave us plenty of time to, to formally produce all this evidence to say, you know, those young Cambridge University students have a, what's coming down the line is terrible and they have a massive responsibility to step up into a revolutionary mode rip didn 't say that obviously, <laughs> but i did uh, and um, and going into the debate, it was like even evens on on the, on the subject, and coming out of the debate, I think it was three times the number of people agreed with us voted for for us rather than the other side. so you can see here how the the tabloid um, paradigm cannot um, can be designed out of the space, assuming you control how the, dis- the, 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 the de- how that space is 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 uh, designed. And what's interesting here, of course, is the ideology of the right. The ideology of conservatism, at least in the UK, is all about free speech and all about debates, because they love to create this ambience that they're the realists, they're the people that follow the science, they're the tough business types you know the world is the world it's hard you know we're going to have to dig up more oil because you know bum boom, boom 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 so there's there's a contradiction here because in actuality they're not interested in debate at all so this opens up the move where you say to the sun or the daily mail you say okay so let's have a good old-fashioned british open debate about it and you get an independent person that's chairing it and you agree the rules, you know, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it is. And it's 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 structured so that you can have your say. And again, so what the plan then is, is, yes, you're going to give some detailed arguments about, you know, why oil is a bad idea and all the rest of it. And because you've got this open debate and you're calm and they can't interrupt you, then you're going to win it. So that's, you know, to emphasise then, that is... Um, that is me making the point we're not against deliberation we're not against rationalism what we're saying is we're being smart about um, designing a communicative strategy on the basis of the terrain that we have to fight upon being smart about it all right so for the next um for the next 15 20 minutes I'm going to look at quite a different approach then which is dealing with long-form conservative straight right-wing media spaces so notice this is long form so there's variations on the theme but there's quite a lot of spaces on YouTube on the internet where these right-wing often sort of libertarian type podcasts and video shows they bring someone in and to give them credit they're going look we're going to have a good hour chat, maybe an hour and a half chat. And, um, you know, we're going to develop argument and all this sort of stuff, because a lot of the right likes this idea of argument, because they think they're the rationalists. And, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're not. So before I get into the strategy about how to deal with this particular, you know, space of communication, I want to make the point that one of the catastrophic strategic errors of the left and the progressive space over the last 30 years has been this, this purist notion that you don't talk to the opposition. Because if you talk to the opposition, there's this irrational idea that you're therefore um, in somehow, somehow agreeing with them and, and consolidating them, but you're not what you're doing when you go into a right-wing space is you've got an opportunity to do two things the first thing is you're creating connectivity through these routines i'm going to go through in a minute and if you remember the what non-violence theory is about is is this eight out of ten thing that the whole reason civil resistance works is because you're polarizing but you're not over polarizing we've got this really clear differential it's not you know agree versus polarizing it's polarizing versus over polarizing over polarizing being defined as a point at which people are not going to come back because they hate you so much and this is the big downfall of you know violent strategies or secrets secrecy strategies polarizing is absolutely essential you need to wind people up so what you're doing when you're going into the right-wing space, as part of a larger strategy, is preventing overpolarization through the sociability of your simple presence at that moment in that space. So this is, was the Harley-Milk uh, strategy that we've talked about a few times. The, Harley-Milk, this gay guy, will, went into the evangelical churches where these horrible you know, right-wing bigoted people were going to give him a really hard time and say insulting things, and he was just going to sit there and calmly and take it. But he wasn't taking it because he was being a twat, as it were, you know. He was taking it because he was being smart, because he knew that by being uh, calm, you, you, you had this jiu-jitsu communicative sort of process where the observers were going, what the hell, they're just bullying this basically okay guy. Uh, so it, it creates this backfiring effect, and it creates a connection, of course, with all these Christians <laughs> in these big churches. That people are going to be walking up the church, going, "Oh, you know, I really want to hate this guy, but actually, he was sort of okay," and that's the first element to prevent overpolarization. the other The other reason it the other reason is a dumb move not to go on into these spaces, is that. This conservative case on the Deaf Project, you know, is just completely full of contradiction. Um, and it's a joy, basically, to sit there and go, you know, just point this out. It's, you know, what you're saying is really interesting, but it doesn't really make sense, as I'll come on to explain. So what we're doing here is, is this is very much an extension of this paradigm of sociability you're coming into a space and you're creating this non-verbal connection you're creating this connectivity and recognition and all the rest of it and you're doing this through the the, the opposite of what the other strategy was this is a, this is a not a confrontation strategy this is a listening strategy and the whole point is it's not one or the other it's do this and then do the other and then do this and then do the other push and pull all right, so let's look, in, look at this, this in a little bit more detail. The paradigm to think about when you go into a right-wing space, and I often think this, like, this is what keeps me going. So you get up in the morning and think, the world is a bit like some madhouse and you're a psychotherapist, you know. You get up each morning and you go to the psychiatric hospital and there's people in there, Who you know are mad and because you know they're mad then you don't get emotionally disturbed by it because your expectation is they're mad you know without getting into what that definition is but broadly speaking you're expecting a whole load of crap and because you're expecting it you're okay about it so similarly like with a therapist you've got someone coming in they're standing you know they're sitting opposite you you already know they're going to come out with a whole load of of stuff which probably makes no sense is politically incorrect which is you know undermines their self-esteem and you know your what your process of therapy therapy is is you're going to listen to it and listening to it is the first step towards some sort of transformation not always of course but it's a fair bet okay so when you're going into right-wing space And I've done three or four interviews with these long form conservative shows and, you know, I'll probably go on some more of them. The first thing you're doing is you're listening. And by listening, I don't mean listening as a sort of move, right? You're listening because it's an ethical commitment. Because these guys have got a lot of good points, dare I say it, right? You know, all, all, all viewpoints have lots of good points. The problem is, is they're not all the good points and they're missing a lot of stuff out. So you're listening to them and you're going okay so that's logic you want to understand what the conservative logic is okay saying that because of that and then what you're doing is as in therapy or in counselling you're summarizing it so you're going let's say the guy's called Joe so you're saying well Joe yeah thanks for those comments you know first of all I just want to make sure I've understood what you're saying here so what you're saying is the reason why there's immigrants is because of this and the climate is no problem because of this and you know people who go on the road are complete twats because of this and I, and I can see what you're saying here because and then you start to really connect with them by understanding their underlying frame um, and their underlying values so the reason you think this is because you know you think that this country is an is important and we need to keep it you know with one culture because that enables everyone to work together and have solidarity and we don't want immigrants because it undermines everything that you believe in in terms of stability and familiarity and this is really important to you you know blah 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 and then you're talking about the values so your values are you know a sense of place your family is important your community the community is where society should be based and um, people should be able to do what they like because it's important that individuals have this sense of freedom blah 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 right and then you're going to say so you know I don't know if I've got that right I don't know I mean maybe I haven't I don't know whether I've got that right and he's going to he Joe's going to go yeah so, and he's going to get going again. He's not. He's not actually bothered. I've done this a few times. He's not actually. He doesn't really want you to answer his question. What he wants is to to engage in the act of speech to get all this off his chest. Um, and off he goes again. And I've done this with conspiracy theorists, like in public meetings. You know, they ask me a question, and I go, "Yeah, well, that's a really interesting question. And the reason you're asking it is because." you really feel angry about this and, and and they love it, they love it and then they're off again and after about, you know, 20 minutes they're all calming down. <laughs> um, so there's there's a pivot within the conversation which is first of all you're getting their respect despite their best intentions because they can't help themselves because you're listening to them. In other words, like the conscious brain isn't that important, they're coming in wanting to hate you and thinking you're a twat. But they can't help themselves to start. stop, in terms of their whole being, receiving a certain sense that, oh, this is good, I'm being listened to. Because we're all suckers to being listened to. If someone listens to you, you're going to love them within about three minutes. I mean, people just love it. Um, so the next move is, once you've got that, what you might call foundational attention, trust and respect, and by foundational, I don't mean... You know, they're still going to say you're twat, but underneath they they think, yeah maybe you're okay. Then you can start co-investigating the contradictions within, within their argument. So you might say, well, you know, this is really important what you just said. And, you use the word and, and there seems to be some problem here with this. I don't know, have you thought about that? So you've asked their question, using their name by the way, saying, oh, Joe, you know. Or you can use the third person where you're going, well, I really see what you're saying, Joe. And some people might say, XXX, I don't know how you might respond to that. So you're not doing this ego confrontation where it's like, I think this, you think this, I think this and you're wrong. It's more like you're saying this, but other people out there are saying that. And because then the guy's thinking about people out there, which is a a key design feature of constructive communication. So he's not getting angry with you, he's getting angry with people out there or that particular position. Um, So I'm not gonna talk about content, you know, there's a bunch of things about the conservative position which is problematic, but you're probably aware, and if you're not aware, you know, this is the central contradiction of the conservative tradition is, they're supporting capitalism, fantastic, you know, free enterprise, you know, getting richer, more prosperity, blah, 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 and they're conservatives and they don't want things to change. Well, the whole essence of capitalism, as we know, is creative destruction or destructive destruction. And so what's happening to family life? What's happening to the community? What's happening to, you know, the the defending of the state when you've got the climate crisis, when you've got social breakdown, when you've got extreme inequality, when you've got globalisation, when you've got corporate uh, corruption? And what you can bring out, of course, is this genuine objective problem. you know there's problems with left wing position as well, right? but the the purpose here is not to come to some intellectual agreement. The purpose is is to create an a a space of culture, a, a space of recognition and, and respect. And at the end of it, at the end of it, the audience is going to go, "Well, still hate him but." You know, he actually brought up some good points there. Or, you know, I still hate him, but actually he's an okay guy and he was actually quite cheerful, because tend to be quite cheerful with these right-wing people, because, you know, the, what they expect you to be is some sort of puritanical, you know, joy-killing Calvinist. So it's quite good to be quite light and breezy with them, in so much as you're light and breezy, and I'm quite a light and breezy person a lot of the time, dare I say. So that's fine with me. So, so, in other words, it's the holistic interpretation of the communication, which is dissolving and confusing the the position and the, and the self-confidence of of the audience, and of course, the person that's having the argument with you. So a little example on this. the, um, the I went onto this show, and there's this guy from Kent, and you know' sort of working class ambiance sort of guy. And he had really clear things he was unhappy with in society. And he obviously wanted to promote me as some university educator twat sort of thing that doesn't know know how real life works, which isn't exactly true in so much as I was a farmer for 20 years. But leaving that aside, you know, I use this approach. But the interesting thing at the end of it was he actually used my name. He said, Roger, blah, 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 blah. And it doesn't matter what the blah, blah, blah was. The fact of the matter is he used my first name. And what that meant was... It was basically mates with me. You know, if i had been more confident, I'd say, you know what, why don't I come down to Kent and we go to the pub and have a chat? (laughs) And he probably would have said yes, because people can't help themselves to enter into this sociability orientation when you have the social design that encourages sociability. And sociability, as we've discussed many times, is this foundational concept of what this revolutionary transformation needs to be if it's not going to regress into authoritarian sort of crap. All right, so let me just give you quick, two quick examples here before I finish. So one of, the, one of them is I, I, went to, uh, I went to this wedding and I was late, so I had to get a taxi. I don't usually get taxis, by the way, <laughs> but I've got a taxi. Well, it was interesting because I was talking to this taxi driver and he said to me, it was a five-minute conversation, right? And he said what do you do and i said well I'm, you know i do campaigning which is usually my way of getting out of a difficult conversation anyway he was quite pushy and said look you know i do climate change stuff here, climate crisis and he said oh well you know it's all sunspots and he was just regurgitating all this stuff he'd heard on social media and i was going yeah you know sunspots are really important no i wasn't saying that's a really crappy idea I was saying yeah there are sunspots and the earth you know temperatures gets gets hotter and um, and at the same time, if you put carbon into the atmosphere, you know, that raises the temperature a lot as well. Blah, blah, blah. And I was sort of, you know, having this chat and he was going on about his diesel vehicle and he, you know, and, and stuff. Anyway, when I got out of the car, he just leaned over to me and he said, um, well, you know what? If I could afford an electric car, I'd buy one tomorrow, right? So what that said to me was, was, the reason why he's against all this green crap is it's all cultural stuff. It's all because he's alienated from the culture of activists. He is just as keen as everyone else is to get on with this job of decarbonizing the economy. What's preventing him is the lack of sociability in the public sphere. And obviously in this case, you know, three or four minute conversation and basically we mates, he more or less agrees with YSA, I'm agreeing with him, you know, it's not a big con- contradictory situation. This happens like a billion times every day, right? People come into confrontation and they use sociability techniques of listening to to re-establish connectivity and prevent over social over polarization. So, um, the, the the other example is with fascists. So, I think I mentioned this before. I can't remember again, but I'll say it again because it's a great example, which is. Which is this research that says, if you're a fascist, a self-described fascist, the single biggest determinant factor of um, of becoming not a fascist, as it were, leaving the movement, is whether uh, a young man gets a girlfriend. And we, we could talk about this for quite a long time, but you can see what's going on here, which is, which is, it's not the it's not the actual arguments themselves that are important to this guy who's a fascist. As a general rule, of course, you know, there's, all, there's fascists who are psychotic. <laughs> but, you know, most fascists, for the sake of argument, they're basically looking for a meaning system in a world that's alienating, to, to simplify somewhat. By getting a girlfriend, they're less alienated and, and they're probably more emotionally supported and they feel less... Sort of self-destructive or outwardly destructive, and all the rest of it. So this is like you know, this is all connects in with this sociability orientation, and what it what it what it contradicts or counteracts is this left wing negativity and this paranoid fear of social media. No one's yeah got two minutes. <laughs> I'm trying to keep this to forty minutes anyway. Um, what what I want to say is that the um, yeah, I've got a good friend and he's he's always saying to me, Well Roger's Cambridge Analytica and just this big right wing billionaire social media thing and it's tearing society apart and people hating each other and it's all reductive communication and I'm going like, yeah, 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 obviously. It's a real it's a really big problem. And at the same time, it can be dissolved in three minutes. It can be dis- all that all that that very superficial um, socialization gets trumped by the miracle of a three-minute conversation where you're going, yeah, I agree with you, mate, and at the same time, as this, what do you think? And, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're mates now, right? And what we're doing across all this series is, is, is micro-designing those three minutes, whether it's on the street, whether it's in the court, whether it's an attack, talking to a taxi driver, because this is what this revolution this is the foundation of it right we're going to talk about all the high politics in a bit but this is like the foundation of of what this this revolution and in, in in human society needs to involve okay so that's it you know all it will do i mean a lot of what i've said is quite fast and we need to yeah, look at it again in various different ways but i'm hoping that it's given you a taste of where we're up to uh, on all this um so to summarise, we're using a confront- confrontation approach and then we're using a listening approach. We're using a push and pull approach. We're using tit and tat, tat sort of approach, like if you're going to be nasty, I'll be nasty. If you're going to be nice, I'm going to be nice, right? I'll be nice and if you're nasty, then I'll be nasty and you'll be nasty, right? You get, you'll get, you get the, you know, people get the idea. Um, and the last thing I'll say is, obviously what I've focused on in these last two talks is is the space of the of, of the of the interview right the space of the uh youtube uh one hour thing the two to two minute thing obviously in terms of media and communication and framing there's a this is part of a wider subject for instance like what we might call cultural production you know creating comedy shows creating um you know music culture all of this has to be designed with the same sort of framing and new ideological orientation. And we'll be looking at that in future talks, don't worry. All right, thanks so much. Um, One minute over. (laughs) Thanks, bye.